Hello, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, and I'm dusting myself off, and I'm back in political enthusiasm because we have four more weeks to talk about it. We have four more weeks. I'm State Representative Terry Anulowitz, and I got almost eight hours of sleep last night, which is my biggest victory (laughs) this week. All right. Well, let's start with the midterm elections. We were all together on Tuesday night at uh, Jen Jordan's party. It was lovely. It was a wonderful party. She was in great spirits. Unfortunately, she did not get the result that she wanted, nor did a lot of Democrats did not get the result they wanted. But it isn't over till it's over. Right? That's right. That's right. And we've got four more weeks until it's actually over. So one thing to important to note about Jen is that she, next to next to Raphael Warnock, mm-hmm. got the most votes. I mean, that is just, she ran such an incredible campaign. And I just want to give a shout out to Meg and everybody on her team. I mean, there's been so many people on it. I mean, you know, of course, Caroline who came in a little bit later and like Kiana and there's just, mm-hmm. there's so many other women on that team. And I'm- Felicia. Uh, Felicia. I mean, I, it's like, I, I even hesitate to mention all the names because there's just so many people that worked. And of course, Kate, shout out to her. Oh gosh. Yes. So um, they ran an incredible campaign and, and you know, it was, uh, she was in good spirits when I saw her, but I think we were all on edge on Tuesday night. It was, we were very much on edge. I really don't think there's anything else that Jen could have done. She left it all on the field. She worked so relentlessly and, you know, credit goes to her, it goes to her family who supported her wholeheartedly. And, you know, it's, she she gave it her all. I am not surprised, really, honestly, at all, that she was the second highest vote getter to Senator Warnock. Well, because that's the whole thing. I mean, look, we look at these elections and, and uh, you know, Brian Kemp obviously won handily. And to his credit, I think they ran an incredible campaign. I think he's got a lot of likability. And I think he, he was just really impossible to beat. I mean, he was like Tom Brady in politics in Georgia, like on his best day. I mean, I I just feel like they, they really worked hard and, you know, look, I'll give a tip of the hat. I think they ran a great campaign. No, to his team's credit, I can't think off the top of my head of any unforced errors. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, there was a, a lot of, uh, a lot of it that was really great. I mean, I, I felt that he should have been pushed on the reproductive rights mm-hmm. a little bit more, especially, you know, in the final debate when he had revealed that his wife, Marty, had a miscarriage. And I think that that was one area that I feel like he scooted by a little bit. Well, and also in that same debate when he said, we, he clarified, said it's the doctors who are going to be prosecuted. And that's one of the main concerns that women and physicians have right now. It's like, if you are a woman and you are miscarrying and you are bleeding out and you go to that emergency room, again, you can't tell the difference if it's an if it's an, an induced miscarriage or a spontaneous miscarriage. And is that doctor going to treat you as urgently as they need to treat you if they're worried they might go to jail? Right. So that's where I feel like he got a free pass. But nevertheless, yeah. congratulations to him. Uh, congratulations to the rest. Uh, we do have a scheduled, Greg Bluestein is going to, from the AJC, like literally like the rock star of all Georgia politics. I can't, I'm amazed that he's giving us the time. He's such a good guy. Such but a bunch. Terry, congratulations. You won your race. 100% of the vote. <laughs> is this like vote for me or vote for no one? Exactly. Or write <laughs> someone in. And I think I, I'm, I always, you know, I'm going to pull the write-ins and be like, who did people write in? <laughs> Who do I need to oh, add can to you my do list? That? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, I, I've heard, I know, I know, yeah, I think I can. I think I can just call the Board of Elections and be like, who are the write ins <laughs> I'm putting on my list? So, and congratulations to Esther Panich, who won yes. her race. So that's exciting for her. I mean, we talked to her last time and, you know, it was, I, I'm just so happy for her. Oh, she had a great win. I saw her at the Capitol yesterday. They were, uh, this was on Thursday of, you know, two days after election day. They had all of the freshmen were there for freshman orientation. Yeah. Uh, and they, you know, they they were all there in the room that, you know, and again, it's, it's interesting. You have some folks who are returning, like Doug Stoner was in the House years ago before he was in the Senate. Scott okay. Hilton, uh, he he is back in the House. That was one of the Democratic House seats that we lost. Actually, Mary Robichaux was in that was was in the same district as Scott Hilton. That was a that was a tough race. Um, 
but there are returning folks. There are a lot of new folks. You could, it's, it's a lot of, I was talking to uh, a, a friend of mine who's in staff in, this, in the speaker's office and, you know, we're looking at this PowerPoint, they're getting all this information. I said to her, I was like, they're not going to remember any of this. And she was like, oh no, they're not. And are you like, <laughs> I'm an upperclassman. Bye. I totally felt like a senior. <laughs> totally felt like a senior. I was like, and I didn't even get orientation because, you know, I came in, Jen and I, like we came in midterm. Like we yeah. had like a perfunctory orientation. They gave, like, they gave us the basics, but there's so many things I found out like, you know, months later, I was like, wait, we can do that. Wait, that's a thing. Wait, we have, wait, what? Like, that's <laughs> amazing. So I just found out as we, and we figured it out as we went along. Well, that's amazing. Well, I can't wait um, to keep talking and to talk about like with the, how the elections went, how that's going to affect legislation moving forward. But that's, that's a, another thing that I want to address. Right. Um, okay. So uh, there was obviously, you know, Georgia was pretty, pretty uh, like, very, very dark purple. Very. Or, or more like r- light red. Um, <laughs> uh, depends on the county, I guess. I mean, you know, Cobb is, was, was very blue um, and, and still is very blue. Georgia, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because we've, you know, if it, if it was the red wave everybody wanted, we wouldn't be head, headed to a runoff, right? right. Like so, if, if everything, right. If, if every Republican did as well as Brian Kemp did, we wouldn't be having a runoff. So, and 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 I think that a lot of people are going to be looking at Brian Kemp's race and 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 looking at that was a great takeaway because he wasn't crazy. He stood up to Trump. He stayed on message the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so and then and you know he's very relatable to people. And I also think that the referendum on the party in power really did happen in Georgia because I think people who saw the two senators win in 2020, I think they had an ax to grind That's or 2021. Right. So I think that was maybe a result of that. And, and so there you go with that. But I wonder the rest of the country, let's talk about that besides Florida and Texas, because I think Florida is going to Florida and Texas is going to Texas. But right. in some of the other states, it just, it, it did not go down like people expected. It was- No, no. I actually was talking today, one of my- best friends from childhood lives in outside of Minneapolis and she was done visiting and we're talking and she said, yeah, she said they, so in Minnesota, it's interesting. They accidentally passed, they accidentally legalized edibles during their last legislative session. Yeah. Like they didn't, like (laughs) basically the Republicans didn't read the bill and something got put in and they, afterwards they were like, we just legalized edibles. And they're also not taxed because they're considered groceries. I'm sure they'll fix that. But yeah, you because you can eat or drink it, so they consider them to be groceries. Oh. <laughs> They're not taxed in Minnesota. Um, so we're talking about that, and, and and a lot of the Republicans were so smug. They're like, "Well, we're going to have, you know, we're going to flip everything back, and we're going to be in control, so we can do whatever we want." And that did not happen That's... in in Minnesota. It did not happen in so many other states. I'm thrilled that Gretchen Whitmer was reelected. I mean, oh Michigan, forget it. I mean, yeah, Mi- Michigan was in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, and even like places like I, I mean, pe- people thought that Lee Zeldin had a chance against Kathy Hochul, which yeah. was like, you know, no. even though there were definitely some red flip in New York. Um, but I just had to, to play this because I mean, just to listen, I need, I mean, let's, let's face it. People in Georgia are definitely licking their wounds. Democrats are, Um, it was tough, but, um, for the rest of the country and shout out to Christopher Boozy. If you follow him on Twitter, I tried to get him on the show this week too, but he, he said he's going to come on. I That's did fantastic. communicate, but this is a guy from Bont Sentinel who had been saying all along, he's been saying the Democrats are going to hold the house and they may or hold the Senate and they may even hold the house. Now, as the time of recording, we don't know the answer to that right. yet, but, um, but everybody, everybody was saying red wave. And this is such a great compilation from Chris Hayes. Just take a listen to this. Did you hear the news? There was no red wave last night. While this is a pretty surprising development to most people, including us here at the desk, imagine, just imagine being a viewer of Fox News today after weeks of being promised one. Be an analyst for a second. Does it feel like a red wave? 
It feels like a red wave, Brian. You know, your predictions of a red wave are accurate. Somebody made a surfboard, said the red wave is coming. Red wave rising. That red wave that I'm convinced is coming. The reports I'm seeing show a big red wave coming. Sleepy Joe just guaranteed a red wave in Pennsylvania. There's a lot of energy on the ground. You probably hear the rally in the background right now. We think we're going to have a big red wave in Michigan. Wow. Democrats are bracing for the worst case scenario, a red tsunami. We are officially on a red tsunami watch. Sean, we're going to see a red tsunami. Red tsunami grows. That means red tsunami. We're not just going to see a red wave. We're going to see a red tsunami. Poverty, joblessness, critical race theory, crazy gender ideology in our schools. We are going to see a red tsunami. And lastly, your prediction for tonight. I think we're going to have a red wave. I think it's going to be maybe bigger than anyone thought. On Tuesday, we will be part of a big red wave that says enough is enough. Up next, Elon Musk ready to ride the big oh, red wave. Elon Musk that tweeted guy. massive red wave. Massive red wave. Massive I've red wave. Enough. Massive I've red heard enough. wave. You're about to see oh a red wave. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, there was no red wave. <laughs> you know, unless I don't like gloating because it's no. like, because especially because it was not a red wave in Georgia. Not at all. But still, you know, what do you think that they got wrong? I, I mean, I feel like so. I want your take on it, but I feel like number one, it was choice. We always say that, but mm-hmm. number two, I think I feel like Americans just want get want to get back to normal. They they're just tired of the crazy. Well, and and I, yeah, and and they want to plan. They don't want to hear like you know, crime, this that, everything is awful. You know, cities are burned down. It's like that's just not true. It hasn't happened, and I think that. I think Americans are very tired of hyperbole and they're tired of people saying things that are real and scary. Like, yeah, gun violence is out of control. What are you going to do about it? Because the solution to what are you going to do about it, we got we get from so many Republicans is like, well, obviously make it easier to carry guns and put more guns out there. We know that's not going to work. And I, I, I agree with you. I think choice was somewhere in the mind of almost every woman voting for one way or another, but it was Except there. Georgia. I mean, white women. I mean, like, mm. what? Yeah. It's just um, disappointing. But, but, but like, go on. But no, but in other states, you know, they're going to be codifying, you know, right. they're codifying I, their abortion rights. Right. Which is, which, which is, which is good. And you, know, you, had, you had one state that finally made slavery codified In Tennessee, slavery I mean, but, but I wonder, it's like, so, so, so I'm going to ask you this question going into the session in January. And we've talked about this before. Do you think that like the, the Republicans now, after this result, they've said, we should probably not make crazy abortion laws because it it's it hurt us in the midterms. Well, you'll I I listened to Stacey Abrams's concession speech, which was actually a phenomenal speech. Um, she she really it, it's a, I'm, I'm sure an impossibly difficult speech to give, but it was a really really good speech and a very thoughtful speech. Um, and then I listened to. Brian Kemp's acceptance speech, and he didn't mention abortion during during that speech. So, you know, he talked about all the things he's going to do and, and you know, tax breaks, and the, you know, crime, public safety, but he didn't say one thing about, about I abortion. I, I get that. Yeah. But what about you've got those people in the, under the we, goal, you've got people, or are they going to, do you think that they've calculated that if, you know, going after, like going another step further, like going after abortion pills or going after IVF or like doing all these extreme measures. They looked at the midterm results and were like, maybe. I hope so. But we also have a lot of, you know, again, I was there yesterday at the house and peeked in and there were, you know, 30 something new members of the Georgia house and they come from all over the place. And some of them, you know, like I come from a district that is, you know, in the, you know, 70% something democratic typically, some of these people come from districts that are 70 or 80% Republican typically. So they're coming from a different viewpoint and a lot of them really want to prove themselves. I think the answer to that question, Mara, really depends on who the next Speaker of the House is. Right. And so that's still up in the air. And that's still up in the air. We'll know, you know, I think they're, I think the Republicans are caucusing on Tuesday. So the day after this airs and they will have their, you know, so when we talk next week, we will be able to speak, I think, with a little bit more clarity about what maybe we'll be able to expect based on who is going to be leading the House. Right. So that's kind of the way I look at it is that that, that I think they're finally, Republicans are real, the, the takeaway if you're a 
national Republican, like Trump is weighing us down. It's a way down. The the sh- it, it's people are start there for sure. Okay, yeah. you know that's and 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 choice. I mean, I think they're really realizing, like, you know, that got a lot of women in these other states, especially where they had the amendments mm-hmm. that they had to vote or referendums to vote on. You know, overwhelmingly. So, uh, you know, I hope Georgia. Um, doesn't take it a step further, but okay. So speaking of that, let's get straight into the Warnock Walker. Right. Now, when I was at Jen's party, uh, I was just, I mean, honestly, I like, I'll be very candid about it. I'm like the first one to tell you that Brian Kemp run an incredible campaign, tip of the hat, but having Herschel Walker as our U.S. Senator, that really, it freaks me out. It scares the hell out of me. It does. Well, and it clearly scares the hell out of a lot of people because you look at how many split tickets there were. Like, I was looking just in Cobb County and looking at the results. And in Cobb County, Stacey Abrams beat Brian Kemp with about... Sorry, that's my story. With about... (laughs) Stacey Abrams beat Brian Kemp by... In Cobb County, again, which is a blue county, suburban Atlanta, uh, with... 13,000 very votes. Busy. Yeah, serious, serious, very busy. Serious. Serious, very busy. Into you. Yes, 13,000 votes. <laughs> Raphael Warnock beat Herschel Walker in Cobb County by 50,000 votes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. clearly there is a lot of split ticketing happening. Yeah. And so, I, you know, what what does this mean? And this is why I can't wait to talk to get Greg's perspective yes. on what he thinks. Because, I, you know, are, are those folks going to come back? Is I think the one of the biggest questions is is Brian Kemp, who assiduously avoided doing anything with Herschel Walker during. But the is campaign. it the other way around? Is it the other way around? Because yeah, I, I, you know I wonder that. So I want to ask that to Greg too. But because look, I get where people are as far as like you know, and now we're still waiting. As we know, we know Mark Kelly likely won Arizona, and so we're waiting for the Nevada results. Right. right. Uh, which is looking good for, to to have fifty Senate seats, which takes the pressure that off. That takes Greg. the pressure off too. Yes. Yeah, that takes. And so that I think there are so many variables because if you know if time is truly a flat circle and the fate of the Senate does once again hinge hinge on what happens in the Georgia runoff, I think that's going to be a very different kind of runoff than what happens if Raphael Warnock being reelected would just make it a stronger majority. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I think that changes things. I think if Trump does announce that he's running for president, I think that changes a ton of stuff in the dynamic. Right. He says he's going to announce. So just here's some remarks from um, Senator Warnock from the other day. Has no vision for our state or for our country. Think about it. We've been running now for a little while. And he has yet to tell us what he actually wants to do. Think about that. He's running for Senate and he has he has not even told us what he wants to do. Nothing. And he claims that he has solutions, but he says he won't share them because someone else might think they came up with it. Explain that if I, I love the people in the background saying, say it. I'm pretty <laughs> I'm pretty sure I heard Nan Orock's voice distinctly, Senator Nan Orock. She if if that wasn't her, whoever it was, uh, that I I swear I heard Nan Orock there. Um yeah, I know I think I think that's the campaign, right? It's it's we we've we know that Herschel Walker is someone who is not afraid to hold a gun to his wife's head. We know that he's not afraid to threaten people. We know like the the thing now is. He is not qualified. So that's the whole thing. I feel like it was Kemp who just kind of carried him over the finish line to get as close as he did. Mm-hmm. And now are those people, are those people in the deep red areas, are those people going to get out and vote a second time? Are they motivated that much? Are they motivated that much? And then are the people who were motivated enough to vote for Brian Kemp and to vote for Raphael Warnock, are they motivated enough to go back out and vote again for Raphael Warnock? And that is... But I mean, look, for me as a Democrat, I feel like we got to have something. We got swept. We got to have something. But it, I mean, shit's getting really weird. Like they want to, as the time we're taping, we can ask Greg about this. I guess they have the GOP leadership meetings or something next week. And mm-hmm. they don't want to do it because they want to focus on on Herschel Walker. But listen to Lindsey Graham, who was on Fox News last night. And, you know, we know that he's already in kind of a heap of trouble in Georgia. 
Um, but this was just like uncomfortable. They have treated him like crap. His family stand by Herschel tonight. If you can give, give. If you know somebody that can give, ask them to do it. Team. They have okay. treated him like crap. It's his. It's he's calling for donations. Who's so, treated him like crap? Uh, uh, listen, I mean, you know, it's 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 a crazy thing. So I wonder, is there going to be the fervor, the passion right. that there was before, especially knowing if the stakes are lower? Right. If the stake. That's the thing. If the stakes are lower, is Brian Kemp a man who does not appear on a stage without his wife and his daughters? Is he going to really get out there and stump for a guy who? you know, has abused his spouse and forced or, or greatly encouraged women to have abortions, you know, is, is that, that does, it doesn't comport. So, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see, oh, there go my glasses. Uh, it'd be interesting to see like the, 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 the campaign strategy on their part yeah. and then getting people out to vote for that. I mean, of course we recommend that everybody, I mean, listen, if you're listening, we know you're voting, but when does the early voting start? So early voting, and I've got to get, the, so what, a couple things are going to be different about this. Number one, if you are not registered to vote, which I highly doubt that if you're listening to this podcast, right, 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 right. Um, but if for whatever reason you, you know, you're not registered to vote, I am afraid to tell you that it is too late to register to vote for the runoff. The deadline to register the vote for the runoff was, it was um, November 7th. It was before the, it was the day right. before the election. Right. Saturday voting, it, because this is a, a weird time period, Saturday voting would normally, there would be, you know, that first Saturday of early, of early voting. The problem is that we've got the Thanksgiving holiday. And when we were going through a lot of the discussions about the voting law, one of the things that was pointed out, and it's not necessarily invalid, it's very hard for county boards of elections to staff Saturday voting the Saturday after Thanksgiving because a lot of people are out of town. There is going to be, um, you know, I think there will be Sunday voting. I, you know, that every county is going to be different. So no matter what county you live in in Georgia, go to that county's board of election page to find out. But it is, it's a little bit tricky because of, because there, is, there isn't going to be Saturday voting. There is, I'm pulling up some, as I well, talk. Well, I yeah, mean, listen, that's one thing in SB 202 that I can't be mad at, that like the fact, well, listen, the whole thing about SB 202 is they made a law, they made laws that didn't need to be made. So that was that's the right. thing based on fraud, uh, that w w there was none. But I am not against that they cut down the runoff time from nine weeks to four. I mean, this makes everybody's life. I mean, you know what I mean? And it does. And especially like runoffs. I'm so like, I have such complicated feelings about it because look, if there was no runoff, we would not have Senator Ossoff. No, that's right. That's right. And so it's, it is, it is complicated. And it's always, you know, every time you're watching the national news on election night and you've got, you know, like John Fetterman won the Senate race in Pennsylvania with less than 50% of the vote. And, you know, but he had most of the votes. Well, he just got more votes. He got and, more votes. It's, right, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's that plurality. We we don't have that plurality. We, you know, in Georgia, it's that 50% plus one. So we have- And it's like, have you know, runoffs. the fact that it's like, basically like, a, you know, it was a totally racist, segregationist kind oh, of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's 100% a product of not wanting- black candidates to be able to, to, to be elected. Yeah. That is, that is why this exists. Yeah. You know, you've got the, yeah. November 28th is the deadline to apply for an absentee ballot. Okay. Um, early in-person voting ends, of course, you know, when early in-person voting, it's going to be very county by county, uh, but it's, it all is going to end on December 2nd and then December, you know, that, that Friday. And then, it's, yeah. And then December 6th, Tuesday is election day. So remember, and this is an interesting point, like remember there was a runoff um, with Andre Dickens yes. and uh, Felicia Moore. And uh, that's her last name, right? Felicia? Yeah. 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 Okay. And like everybody thought Felicia was like, you know, but it was by Felicia. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, so I, um, and listen, and she was lo lovely. Actually, we had her on the podcast and we talked to Andre, Andre Dickens as well, but he was the underdog, right? And he still right. ended up winning. So it's, it is interesting how this all works. But of course, we are like rooting so hard for Warnock. And listen, if there were a decent Republican there too, I, I, I would say all is fair. But I just, I think 
Herschel Walker is an, is another level. And I think it's going to be more challenging for him. And, and, and we're going to talk to Greg in a second because I am curious about what their approach is going to be because look, it was sort of like Kelly Leffler, right? When you were when you were in the runoff, and you have to you have to re- reach out to moderate voters. Yes, you do. And he's not done that at all. I don't. No. I don't know that he's ever even been inside the city of Atlanta. No, probably not. <laughs> Except maybe a fundraiser in Bucket or something. Right. Right. But you know, so there's a lot there. Okay, we're we're gonna get all the answers. Um, yeah. Because we really want to make Bluestein's life boring again. Did yeah. you hear this on MSNBC? This was like the main, like basically this guy, um, uh, John Ralston from Nevada is basically like the Greg Bluestein of Nevada. I, I just now understand that the stakes here are that Catherine yeah. Cortez Maxwell winning uh, would make Greg Bluestein's life much more boring. Uh, and so I know that that's the real stakes in this election. That's how they're going to do the campaign. Make Bluestein's life boring. That's going to be the campaign slogan. I can see it now. John Ralston just copyright it. John Ralston, Greg Bluestein, you guys are great. Thank you very much. I, mean, okay. I, I just there now understand. That's your bumper sticker right there. Make Bluestein's life boring. Yes. Okay, so let's, but, but let's make Bluestein's Seen's life a little more interesting right now. Yes. All right, here he is. He's. I feel like we got a good get today, but just off the air, he just says he says yes to everything. But I feel like I landed Br- Greg Bluestein for the AJC, like the guy for Atlanta yeah, politics, right. the guy and, and, and MSNBC commentator and the Politically Georgia podcast. Greg Bluestein. How Wasn't you I your first guest way back when? You were indeed. Greg was the first guest on the Vote Her podcast. Yes, and I rem- remember it. I was honored. You know, I remember it too because I was in my basement. It was in the middle of the pandemic or the beginning of it or whatever. And I had really bad reception and my kids were running around upstairs and I was just like, guys, this is going to be the new normal. <laughs> Everything's going to be by Zoom now. Because back in the old days, we would have been, you know, in, in, and now... Now this has changed the model, so we don't even have to be in person. Although That's you right. guys are in person. Well, we are. what was funny is um, Jen and I had just set up our equipment. We had no idea what we were doing. Like, we just bought all the podcast stuff. We were just like, I mean, we had only met in person for the first time. Like, you know, it was just like, this was such a big deal. We had never done this before. And so Greg agreed to come on and... Uh, and we had to have Greg on the phone because we couldn't figure out how to get your audio. Oh, we got on the phone? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's because we couldn't figure the audio out. Um, okay, so let's give an update. How are you doing? What's the state of Greg Bluestein and Georgia politics? <laughs> I am doing great. Um, we're used to this, right? So I've been through this now. Honestly, the first time I really went through this kind of, you know, super intense when Georgia was in the middle of everything was the um, 17 runoffs with John, John Ossoff against Karen Handel. Because 16 and 14 and 12 and 10 and 8 and all those other elections you covered, they were, of course, very, very important. And there was really good stories in them and there was very you know heated debates and all that, but they were not attracting, unless someone said something really silly, <laughs> they weren't attracting that much national attention. They were hugely important for us. And even 16, you know, I'm, 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 I'm on the road far more than I was here in Georgia covering what was happening at a national level through a Georgia lens. And then 17, suddenly I could walk to all the places because I live in the middle of Dunwoody. And the sixth district race was in the heart of, (laughs) I was in the heart of the sixth district. So suddenly I could walk places. So we've gotten used to um, this and I've gotten used to the fact that, you know, Stacey Abrams 2018, I got used to the fact that covering election nights are going to be all nighters these days. They're not going to be wrapped up by 10 o'clock, nine o'clock at night. Like we're, somewhat used to. Um, so I came into this one thinking kind of exactly what happened um, was that, you know, there'd be a solid Republican lead in every statewide race, except for um, the, the U.S. Senate race, because the polls were, were accurate. I know there's a lot of hand-wringing about the polls when they came out, but the polls were <laughs> really good. And um, and, uh, and so anyway, I got rest that I need, so I'm feeling good. Good. So there's a question. You mentioned, you know, the, the 2016 and 2017 you know, I've been working in, in Georgia politics for almost 15 years. I really feel like we're never going to go back to that pre-2016 era because so many of the people who are so involved in politics right now, and I think a lot of it does go to that sixth district race with Karen Handel and John Ossoff, that was really their first time dunking their toe in Georgia politics. And for so many of those folks, and so many women especially, 
they were all in. And I think it really changed the game about how campaigns work in Georgia and about how politicians, you know, who the audience is in Georgia. I think everything has changed forever. I mean, do you think we ever go back to sort of that pre-2016? I don't. And there was always questions after 2020, is Georgia going to become more like, you know, Virginia, which is before Glenn Youngkin won. Georgia can be more like Virginia in a solid blue state or more like Florida where it's closed, but it might tilt one way or another. And I always felt like it would just kind of be, if not seesawing, at least very, very close. And I don't think in 2024, we will be surprised to see a lot of presidential candidates who used to ignore Georgia, you know, and just come before the primary and then use us as a piggy bank. Uh, that won't happen. We're going to be, we're going to, we're going to continue to be a really important battleground state. Um, and, you know, I, I have no idea what will happen in these runoffs, but they proved again that Georgia is a competitive state in that sense, because you have an incumbent Democratic senator who, who actually outpolled, unexpectedly to me at least, outpolled um, the, the Republican who had the wind at his back, right? Um, who had all the national climate working for him and the messaging working for him and the Biden low approval ratings working for him. And so you still have a chance of a Democrat winning, um, uh, remaining in office, kind of standing pat. And, and you know, there is, a, there is a spin on it that I've already heard from some Democrats saying, hey, we, we held the second district. We have a chance to hold the U.S. Senate race. Uh, so, you know, the, the, they basically held steady in a, in a way in it. Well, it was not a wave election by any means nationally, but Michael Thurman had a great quote in um, Bill Torpy's column today. Um, and Michael Thurman is the CEO of DeKalb County. And he said something like, hey, it wasn't a tsunami, but where, where, the, where the wave did come on shore, it was, <laughs> it was Georgia's beach, right? right. So mm-hmm. where the wave mm-hmm. hit, That's hit Georgia. So, and that's the question, you know, talking about Raphael Warnock and this runoff, you know, obviously, you know, he, Herschel Walker had Brian Kemp so popular. Like I called him earlier in the podcast. He's sort of like, was Tom Brady at his peak. Like he was just like top candidate, great campaign, wildly popular incumbent. And he really dragged uh, Herschel you know, I'm giving you the football references over the, you know, to a touchdown, right? You know, are people going to come out? I know because I listen to your podcast regularly, every episode, but I'm going to get back to that in a minute. Um, You know, and I know sometimes you guys are a little horny for Herschel sometimes, you know, he wins the win of the week a lot, but are you going to be, and I know people at rallies, they love him, but is that going to be enough to carry him over the finish line in the runoff? Yeah. So first I think, I think Kim didn't drag him over to the touchdown, but he dragged him to the red zone, right? He's right there. (laughs) Okay. um, You're right. That's right. You're right. Right. So he helped, but he helped, he pulled that entire ticket up. Um, and you know, it, it was hard for, and I would even talk to down ticket Republicans and Dem- Democrats about it. Like they, you know, Jen Jordan raised a tremendous amount of money that in other years would be this eye popping amount. Holy crap. This is a huge, one. same with Chris Carr. Right. Um, and in this race, it was just, you know, a barely a sentence in stories that we wrote because we're talking about a hundred million dollar plus calls from, from these top candidates. I mean, it's insane how much money was being spent. Um, so can, you know, the, the, the big question, or one of the big questions, because there's lots, but one of the big questions is what role Governor Kemp will play? Because we've talked about this, you guys have talked about this, these Kemp-Warnock voters, they were really real. There's a lot of folks, especially on the GOP side, who said, oh no, when the rubber meets the road, these conservative voters are going to come home and end up voting for Herschel Walker. Well, a lot of them didn't. You know, Governor Kemp outpolled uh, Herschel Walker by 200,000 votes. That's the difference between an outright win, obviously a big outright win and a runoff. And a, a significant number of these Kemp Warnock voters, um, or, or at least, you know, they're going to be targeted. And I've only done anecdotal research on this because I've kind of put a call out on the blog, but I've heard from a lot of them, they're still continuing to, to want to vote for, for um, Raphael Warnock or they're staying home. Either way, they don't help um, Herschel Walker. So what role Governor Kemp plays it will be instrumental. He's, he's agreed to kind of lend his grassroots operation to the Herschel Walker campaign. But these two men have not been cozy whatsoever on the campaign trail. Herschel Walker refused to say whether he'd even support him back in back. Right, in right, right. That being said, I'm curious. Um, and then Terry, I want to give you the next question because I want to just, I, I, if I, if I, do you think secretly Kemp maybe, you know, 
Life's a little easier with Warnock. They probably already have a relationship. He kind of knows what he's doing. He's, you know, maybe secretly. Nah, because Kemp is still a, look, Kemp is very close with Mitch McConnell. Um, Mitch McConnell held, it might have been his only fundraiser for a non-U.S. senator, but if, if not his only, it's one of his only for a non-U.S. senator with Brian Kemp. So if Brian Kemp can emerge out of this, this election cycle, having defeated Donald Trump essentially in, in, in destroying David Perdue, having defeated the sort of the arch rival, the arch nemesis of the GOP nationally in defeating Stacey Abrams, and then getting credit, because he will. If, if Herschel Walker wins, he'll get some of the credit at least, not all of them, but some of it for beating uh, Raphael Warnock, then he'll emerge even with even a higher national profile than before. And he's and he's and he's he is close with Mitch McConnell, so I don't think I, I think he wants um, Herschel Walker to win. But that does that mean he's going to you know cozy up to him and and want to go and you know rally with him at campaign rallies? We might see him once or twice, but I don't I don't know if we'll see him as a regular mainstay on the campaign trail. And the best evidence of that was the Monday before the election, where they literally had events within basically a mile and a half of each other down in, in Kennesaw, and. Neither of them went to each other's events, and it could. It could. I look. I made it to both events, and I don't have a security detail. <laughs> I don't have. You, you don't. Know, I don't. Can you believe? It? I don't have a convoy. Uh, I just have my little car, and I and I drove over and walked. So they could have easily done it, and 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 that just tells you everything you need to know about about those two men who had never campaigned together. They appeared at the same event sometimes, but they never campaigned together the entire election cycle. Right. Like I said this to Mara before we got on with you, it's like, is the guy who camp- he was not on a stage without his wife and three daughters going to get on a stage and like ardently stump for the guy who held a gun to his ex-wife's head? Like I just, you know, stranger things have happened, but I don't see it. Yeah. And, and representative, I mean, one of the things we remember too is, is the role that, that Governor Kemp's wife, Marty plays. Exactly. Um, she, she was by Governor Kemp's side at like almost every campaign event. Every time I'd see her, 14 more days. 13 more days, yeah. right? She was counting down. And she plays a, a very big role too on the internal dynamics. I'm not saying she's the reason why, but it's hard for, for me to imagine her um, signing off on that as well. So that's just my gut. That's my, that's my gut also. And their messaging, and we, we've talked about the messaging, their messaging could not have been more different. I mean, Brian Kemp's messaging was consistent. Georgia is doing great. Everything is amazing. Why would you want to change this? And Herschel Walker's messaging is like, Georgia's burning because of Joe Biden. <laughs> it's like, how, you know, where's, where's reality? And clearly more people went for Brian Kemp's version of events. Yeah, you're right. Um, Brian Kemp also, because he had consolidated the Republican base early, you know, we wrote stories back in September, mm-hmm. August, about his strong support within the GOP, which of course wasn't a given, given that uh, Donald Trump had made him a top target throughout the most of the last two years. Um, but Governor Kemp didn't have to worry about consolidating that Republican base. He wanted to drive up turnout, of course, but he wasn't worried about this like strong MAGA anti-Kemp movement that, that a, lot of, a lot of people um, were forecasting at, at this time last year, for instance. Oh, yeah. And so he could go to the middle a little bit more and, you know, if not talk about moderate policies, could at least talk more about the economy and issues that that were more favorable to Republicans. Well, and he was good. He was good at at pivoting. Like anytime he was asked about abortion, he really, you could, you could tell he really practiced that. I feel like the only time he was really pressed was in that second debate. Um, And I think that the Purdue primary actually strengthened him so much. I wonder if that was kind of by design in a way. Like, it's just like, I feel like he got so much stronger after that. I can promise you it wasn't by design, but (laughs) but it did. It it was probably the best thing that happened to his campaign. Look, Remember back in December when David Purdue got in, there was legitimate fears among the GOP that he, that that Governor Kemp would not emerge. I mean, this was not going to be this is no sure thing at all way back in December when David Perdue got in. Um, but but Kemp's folks weren't surprised by it. They had been planning for it. They walled off all of David Perdue's financial support. They made a number of moves behind the scene um, to wrap up some of David Perdue's top operatives and get Sonny Perdue in, league, in line to be uh, the, the, the chancellor of the higher education system. They did a lot of things. I mean, we can go on and on. Um, but I think it, it made him stronger. It's pretty obvious. Because by 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 comparing him to this far right Republican 
David Perdue, who wasn't really far right before this campaign. I mean, he was very conservative, but he went way far right, I thought, during this primary campaign, um, saying he wouldn't have certified the election results, saying he would support Buckhead cityhood, saying he wouldn't have given incentives to land the, the state's biggest economic development project in state history. This is a Fortune 500 company CEO, right? right. Who took plenty of incentives when he was leading those, those companies. So, so not just on Trump, but on all those different issues, Kemp seemed, and he's not moderate. He's, he, he's the last person who would tell you he's a moderate, but he did seem more moderate by comparison to David Perdue. And that made him, that made Democrats more open to voting for him. And I'll give you a super quick anecdote. I got this, I, I get all this. I get like not hate mail and I get hate mail. And I got this long hate mail message today for someone who is just, you know, attacking us for our coverage and whatever. And ha ha ha, the Democrats lost all this stuff. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but I get it from the other side too. Uh, and at the very bottom of it, this guy who was just spewing all this hate about Stacey Abrams was like, by the way, I voted for Raphael Warren over <laughs> Herschel Walker. Uh, you know, he, <laughs> just, well, that's, tells you all you need to know. that's, that's the thing. I just want to, I don't want to forget to ask this about Burt Jones. Okay. So Burt Jones was a fake elector and Burt Jones is part of the Fulton County district, uh, DA investigation over overturning the election. And he got out of testifying because there was an election coming up. He could be in big trouble. What does that mean for the Republican party? What does that mean for him? Does anybody care? You know, nothing to see here. Um, I mean, are you, you guys taking a look at that? Yeah, look, it's been a constant part of our coverage um, since since the day it happened. Where I, I you know, I, I was as uh, I was as surprised as anyone because I'd written literally written a preview story about the elector um, vote and focus on the Democrats, of course. But then I would called a few Republican electors who said, "Oh no, no, we're not planning anything," and I kind of trusted them. And then I stumbled upon this meeting, and I was like, oh, "So much for that one." Um, but no, we're we're continuing to cover that. And remember, there's a legal. Basically, um, Fonnie Willis, the Fulton County District Attorney, had to essentially recuse herself from any, the part of the investigation involving Burt Jones because she had a fundraiser for, um, uh, for, uh, for Democrats. Um, so instead, it's now going into the hands of the Prosecuting Attorney's Council, um, which has indicated that you know, if, it, if it comes to that, they will, um, they will take up that part of the investigation. So we're not sure where that stands right now because everything has been a pause. Uh, on pause right now. Uh, Bonnie Willis's investigation, you're still seeing stories, you know, develop from it, but the actual, um, you know, grand jury proceedings have been on pause for the midterm and they're about to start back up again. Well, we had Tamar on here a month or so ago. And one of the things that, that she pointed out that I did not realize that even though Burt Jones is not appearing before, you know, Fonnie Willis in this grand jury, anything that anybody else says during their grand jury testimony about Burt Jones can be used. Yeah, that's a good point. And it can be used by this, you know, right. by this, this, this other investigator who might look into it. And it's, look, it is, it is, if you gave Burt Jones a truth serum, he'd probably say that was his biggest regret of the campaign cycle. And, and it wasn't, look, other Republicans realized this was an issue and sidestepped it. And, what, and, the, and, and the name that comes to mind is John Isaacson Jr., the late senator's son, yes. who was supposed to be one of these electors. And he said, you know what? And he went on the record with me and said it. He goes, you know what? This is not, I knew this was going to be a trouble and I, and I stayed away from it. Um, and, you know, Bert was thinking about, we all knew he was thinking about a Senate run or a governor run or a lieutenant governor run at that time. And so this is something that is continuing to haunt him. It's making a deal with the devil. I think a lot of that, that's what's going to be so interesting as far as like, as we look into the campaigning for the runoff. And you've reported on this a lot, like, you know, is Trump going to come to town for Herschel Walker and Herschel Walker is, you know, a Trump creation basically is into politics. And now here we are. It's, it's, it's not necessarily a winning bid. It could be a, a you know, losing bid. We, we just, we don't know yet how high the stakes are going to be. We don't know if the fate we, of the Senate does hinge on this race. Yeah. And by the time some of our listeners hear this, we might know, but right now it's a yeah, thing. Yeah. Nevada's up in the air. And Arizona's up in the air, although there are signs, good signs for Democrats in Arizona and Nevada. God, I mean, it's a, what a strange system. Slowly counting the votes in Clark County. I mean, I've been on, on, on air with John Ralston, the premier reporter in, in Vegas, and he's having a ball going through the math, and I'm glad I don't have to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mean you didn't go to journalism school to do math, Greg? Oh, gosh. But I'll say this about your question, Representative. 
it's it's weird. There's like two. You know, we always talk about how um, you know, different parties are divided. There's progressives and there's centrists in the Democratic Party and whatnot. Well, the Republican Party right now is a very clear case of like the MAGA crowd, and and then the Kemp crowd. And what was so striking to me about Kemp's victory speech um, is that a you know he he immediately went after Stacey Abrams. I mean, this was not a conciliatory speech. This was fiery. This was he had been holding this in for a long time and he was uh-huh. ready to just go. Uh-huh. But the second thing he was really holding in was his criticism of Donald Trump. And I've heard him a million times, you know, criticize the national media, the local media, public health experts and Democrats um, for, for, for panning his, uh, his, his executive order to lift economic restrictions early in the pandemic. What he's never said, though, was that former President Donald Trump was also the biggest critic. Well, he said that. He didn't say Trump by name, but he said, presidents past and current. And that to me was a, like, at least a little bit sign of an unleashed Kemp. On the other side of the, of the, of the aisle or the, the, uh, of the coin there is, of course, Herschel Walker, David Schaefer, um, all the Republicans that align themselves more closely with the Trump wing, which is in, you know, at least in, in Georgia, in retreat. Um, except for those those big names, and they they'll need the help from those mainstream Republicans more than I think they even realize oh, like right the, now. Like the ones that are coming to town, like you know Ted Cruz in town, and you're going to have the Tom Cottons of the world. You know these, you're going to have a lot of these people, these uh, that are very very Trumpy coming into stump for Herschel. Yeah. Well, and like I was thinking, I keep thinking about this when when we were talking about you know Kemp consolidating his power in the run-up to that primary with David Perdue. And I saw it happening behind the scenes during the 2022 legislative session. You know, David Perdue announced that he was running. I went into the session being like, is, are we going to have some Republican throwdowns with the Purdue people? Which, if, you're a Purdue, if you were going to be a Purdue person, that meant you were a stop-the-steal person, right? And are those people, is it going to be a battle between those Republicans and the Kemp Republicans? And there was not a battle. I mean, it was, it was, it was deliberate and methodical and... Almost every Republican got in line behind Brian Kemp. I think it helped them have a much stronger legislative session than they otherwise would have had. I'm sure the speaker played no small part in in accomplishing that. But it was it was interesting because there was not any kind of a MAGA battle. Now, though, going into the 2023 session, we don't have we won't have Speaker Ralston, and we have like I know in the House, 30 something new people. Many of those are Republicans who won in deeply deeply Republican districts and how, you know, whatever they're trying, whatever MAGA cred, they may or may not be trying to approve, how, trying to prove how is that going to impact the rhetoric and the run-up to, to this runoff? That's such a great question because you had, um, in the run-up to, um, to, to this past session, um, I wrote a story saying expect more culture wars uh, because Governor Kemp is going to do whatever it takes to, to, you know, to wall off, to, to shore up his, his right flank. And I was told... Yes, expect the, after that story ran, you know, basically high level camp people, who of course I always talk to anyway, um, but they reinforced, they said, expect it, but not because of David Purdue, he was going to do this anyway. I don't know about that, but we did. We saw transgender policies, we saw guns, we saw education um, issues that were kind of ripped from the same playbook that Glenn Young can use to win uh, up in Virginia. So we saw a number of those policies um, getting implemented. And I think, yeah, I mean, c- coming into this year, it's going to be really fascinating because, of course, not only do you have a new speaker um, who is yet to be decided, but it's really a battle between John Burns and Barry Lemming. Uh, John Burns is more of the legacy candidate. He's, he's closely tied with David Ralston. Barry Fleming would ostensibly bring a more combative role um, in, into all this, but I've also been told he's going to be somewhat of a traditionalist as well. He's not going to go and, you know, burn the house down. You also have... A new lieutenant governor too, and we're right. not sure. You know, we're not. We just we're not really sure what Burt Jones. A is. fake elector. Let's. I, I like is, to remind he people he is a fake elector and allegedly committed treason, and now he is lieutenant governor. Well, and he doesn't have a stable of allies in the Senate. I mean, in, in the Senate, well, he doesn't have. I'll, I'll say this. You know, and you're right. Like he, he was not. He he was somewhat of. A, I don't know if pariah is a good word, but he he was somewhat ostracized in the Senate. Uh, he was not a fan of Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan. Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan was not a fan of him. We, we this is out in the public. Duncan didn't even endorse him, um, and he didn't. And Bert Jones said he didn't want Duncan's endorsement. But you know how things go. The moment it looked, you know, the moment he won the uh, the Republican primary, 
suddenly all those, a lot of state senators were, were either eager to uh, cozy up to him or eager not to tick him off. So he will have some allies. I just, you know, I just got the list of all the, um, the Republicans who won leadership positions that, I, that will be on the AJC any minute. Um, but, <laughs> I know we're, know we're, 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 we're uh, taking Greg away from his Twitter feed. I mean, no, you know. no I'm, I'm waiting for Maya to write the story. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to scoop around this. But oh, John I'm... Kennedy's going to be the new pro tem in the Senate. Steve Gooch is going to be, um, have the leadership post as majority leader. Randy Robertson, okay. the whip, Jason and the Picarte. Randy got whipped. All right. The and Matt, Matt Brass and Dean Burke. So we're talking some very conservative people. Uh, you know, the Senate is already a little bit more conservative than the house, um, anyway, but it's going to take a little bit more of a conservative tilt now and so we'll see how, how Burt Jones and the rest of the GOP leadership navigate this. But this is one part of the three-legged stool in the Capitol. And two of those legs are going to be new. And the third leg, Governor Kemp, has uh, now he has a mandate. And if you look back at him coming in with this narrow margin of victory with Democrats at first putting an asterisk by his name, it was so close, all that. And he still was able to get just about all of his agenda done. I mean, you look back at what he promised in 2018. He got most. So imagine now when he doesn't have much, he didn't issue too many campaign promises, but now he has a mandate. You know, it's hard to argue he doesn't. And so what does he do with that? And, and how does he work with these two new leaders? Uh, we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I just hope that they lay off some of these culture war social issues. I feel like, Greg, and I'm curious your thoughts on that. I mean, maybe this wasn't in Georgia because Georgia is in a unique position. There were a lot of factors there, obviously, from an incumbent to referendum on what happened in the Senate runoff last time. Uh, but do you think that people, based on what the country, how they voted in the midterms, do you think the vibe or the or a takeaway is like, we need a break from the crazy and the vitriol and these extreme things. We just want normal uh, democracy functioning. Let's reach across the aisle. Am I just being too much of an optimist? No, I don't think you are. Remember before, and this is, Look, the speaker's decision was sudden. This was not planned for months. This speaker David Ralston's decision to uh, to give up the gavel, um, and not long before he made that decision, um, he was at Audrey Haynes' University of Georgia political science class in Athens, and he outlined his vision for this upcoming session because he knew Republicans would, would maintain control of the House, um, and he said it, he wanted it to be an opportunity session focused on infrastructure, healthcare, um, you know, issues that didn't involve cultural war issues. And, you know, I, I get it. He says that a lot. There's a lot of times where before a session, he says, we won't touch X, Y, Z issue. And they, and they end up touching it. So not only touching it, they end up, you know, it, it, it being the focus of the session. But I, I really did believe him. And I believe that there's, there's some leaders in the House who want to keep that, you know, keep that vision going. And I'll say this about Governor Kemp. You know, the, the fact that he was in a commit, had a solid lead uh, throughout the entire race in their internal polls meant that he didn't feel like he needed to go further to the right in terms of promising campaign agenda items uh, for a second term. So he's not entering office now for a second term with the promises to do more on abortion or guns or you name it, right? I mean, the, the few issues he's, he made promises on involve like, a, you know, tax rebates, $2 billion refunds, essentially, and pretty modest changes to education and criminal justice laws. Nothing that, um, nothing sweeping that, that really you know, Democrats didn't love those ideas, but nothing, uh, nothing that would really energize the Democratic base against them. And so I, I will we'll hear more about his agenda in the next couple of weeks, but I don't, I do not think it'll involve, um, you know, big cultural changes. I will say though, and, and you mentioned this earlier at that debate, uh, the second debate, I, in the first debate, I asked him, do you want to go any further on abortion restrictions? And he said, no, flat out. The second right. debate, Richard Elliott asked him, uh, would you sign a law that went further on abortion restrictions? I'm just paraphrasing here. And he said, no, he said, essentially, uh, you know, I, I don't comment on those. We have to wait and see. He didn't give an affirmative no or yes answer. And that became the lead of my story because that was something new, he said. <laughs> and and his folks kind of, uh, his, his allies pretty much acknowledged, okay, he kind of made a slip up there. Um, and so that's something to watch as well. We're running out of time. So I want to ask, are you going to write a sequel to your book. And I saw like a lot of Republicans, you know, Greg wrote a great book called Flipped. Everybody should read it. And some people even told you to write a book 
like me. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You you were encouraged me very early. I loved it. because it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. So are you going to write a sequel? Um, are you going to write a sequel called Flopped? I really want to. <laughs> I don't know if Flopped will be the title. No, not going to call it That's what flopped. Republicans would have called yeah, it because the first Republicans. one's called Flip. And Brian Robinson, if you're listening to this, you were out of line. <laughs> Brian. Brian. Um, no, but frankly, I made that joke on, on my podcast. So I was like, Brian, you stole my joke. He said, I never heard it. But no, uh, <laughs> yeah, I joked that Republicans, for, for, since it came out, since before it came out, Republicans were saying, you're at the right fluke or flop or flip back or whatever it might be. Um, I would love to. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that it's, it is good. So much time. <laughs> And I know, and but it made you like this. Na- it, it made you a star. Like you've got to write an epilogue for the paperback edition. Yeah, right. Yeah, I really, I really, really want to. And so I have a call with the agent in a couple uh, days. Oh, so I, fancy. Yeah, and there's just different <laughs> things. It, will it be a straight sequel or will it be something else? Um, I'm not so sure, and I don't understand this industry. I get the news business. I, I've kind of gotten to know the podcast business. But I don't, and I get a little bit of the TV business, but now the book business is completely weird. I mean, he's, um, you're a star, Greg. You're well, a polymath. Yeah. Politically, Georgia is so great. It comes out Wednesdays and Fridays and whenever news breaks. And I highly recommend <laughs> you listen to it. Um, you and Patricia Murphy, you have such great chemistry. She's your work wife. She kind of is. And you <laughs> want to know this. T- today, I sent her this text. And it, we're, we're taping this on a Friday and we never really do podcasts on Fridays unless there's emergencies. I sent her a text. I said, Patricia, where are you? Kevin, Riley, and I are waiting for you, our, our, our executive oh, editor. And she goes, that's not I'll nice. be on in a second. Said, <laughs> we're not even doing what it is. We've seen too much. She freaked out. She was just trying to cover herself. She's like, yeah, I'll be on in a second. Well, because <laughs> last, just, yeah, last Friday, y'all did have to do a podcast. Right. Yeah, unfortunately, it was, it was oh. the David Ralston podcast. Yeah, I mean, there was um, emergency podcasts. I'm like here for all of it, um, you know. And even I gave Greg some shit. We were texting because I was like, "Stop calling yeah. it the mailbag. You don't get snail mail. It's a phone hotline. It's a hotline, Greg." This is such a, like a, a legacy because we we hired some <laughs> WSB experts who are awesome, like Shaney B, our producer. Yeah, he's but great. But that's like. That's like radio lingo though, right? You know that. It's like, real bad. Real bad. I know, but it's not radio. It's a podcast. Keep it real. Your listeners know. Keep it real. Okay. <laughs> the hotline. The hotline. It's a hotline. Let's see. If I got a shout out on your podcast, you know, I'd be very excited okay. about that. I'm writing, so, I'm writing it down right now. So let's see. Let's see what happens. And then I also suggested, because, you know, they do the, you know, the who's up and who's down. And I think Patricia Murphy's tell her, I want you guys to do a segment called Spin Cycle dedicated to her laundry. So, you know, what politicians are spinning that week. I like it because we're, we're going to have to completely not reinvent, but it's going to be different um, after yeah. the runoff because, yeah, yeah. totally. you know, Finding good, and uh, you know, it'll end up being presidential because pr- Georgia will be. Um, there's no doubt Republicans in the knowledge that Democrats, of course, are excited about it. But Georgia will be a battleground in 2024, and we w- we very well might get the uh, the DNC here in Atlanta, which will be which will be it's great. And you'll have the 2023 legislative session to cover. <laughs> and yay, yeah, who knows what yay. what what will happen? We don't know. We don't know. I was, yeah, we don't know who's going to be cheering. Are you excited about it? Oh, I love session. Yes. I mean, I was at the Capitol yesterday. They were doing freshman orientation. I feel like I told Mary, I was like, I feel like I'm a senior, like walking into school, like I know what I'm doing and these guys are dummies and they don't know anything and they don't even know where the free Diet Coke is. (laughs) No, it is. you know where all the peanuts are? I know where all the peanuts are. Well, that's the advice I give to all incoming freshmen is like, just because it's free doesn't mean you have to eat it. And I've talked to some lawmakers. This is scary. Who have eaten so many peanuts? They like clump up in their digestive system <gasps> and they get some terrible oh, disease. God. Okay, even brown. Oh my yeah, god! Like, I did too much of that stuff. That's oh good. My. Behind the scenes, uh, behind under the gold dome. Today I learned. Yes. <laughs> Today you ate too many peanuts. <laughs> so the doctor of the day. If we bring the doctor of the day back, we need to get some gastroenterologists in there to. Yeah. We out. know a few of them. Oh, they well, go out of my synagogue. Well, everybody <laughs> should follow Greg Bluestein. You can read his great coverage in the AJC. You can read his book called Flipped. You can listen to Politically Georgia and uh, see Greg around town. Uh, you see him at Braves games. You know, not so much Falcons games. You Braves, no, Georgia, Georgia Bulldogs. Yes, I've seen so. Greg Bluestein at Georgia games and at Braves games. <laughs> 
yeah. randomly yeah. all over the place. Well, we love you, Greg. Well, thank you so much for all your support. And I'm so honored to be back and have been your first guest ever, Way Whack Lynn. And I hope to continue to be your guest as often as you can. All right. That was awesome. I could talk to him all day. Oh, easily. He is, he's just, his his Twitter bio says aspiring match, but I think he's actually achieved it. Yeah. I mean, so his book, like I was got slid into his DMs early. I mean, like I've known Greg for years, but I just thought that that 2020 runoff was just such a story. And, you know, the book flipped, reads like a drama. Like, oh yeah, I feel like that could be made into a miniseries because of, of the way everything shook. Like, I think the, it totally could be. I oh, forgot to ask him. That, that means we have to have an episode where we just cast it. I know. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh, you know who I'd cast is <laughs> Kelly Leffler. Who? Laura Dern. Oh, yes. It's a good one, yes. right? Yeah, that's a really that's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she'd really have to act because she has a soul and a personality Laura Dern does. But who would you cast as um David Perdue? Oh God, who would I cast as David Perdue? Oh, you have to think about that, man. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a. We should have asked that. And like, who would you? Who would be John Ossoff at Wardock? Oh, let's see, John Ossoff. I mean, okay, you got many paths, but Mark Ruffalo is actually too old. He's too old to. He's to, too okay. old. So this yeah. is so so okay. When when this podcast drops and you're listening now, I'm going to put this on, on um, social media. So if flipped was a movie of the story of the runoffs in 2020 and 2021. Like, who would play who? Like, I just think Laura Dern was the first one who came to mind for Kelly Loeffler because she's, you know, tall and slender and, you know, has sort of like those angular mm-hmm. features. The cheekbones. But I really have to think of who, who would play the other one. So definitely send yeah. us some feedback yeah. who you think. Like Paul Rudd, even he, Paul Rudd, the too man old. who doesn't age, he's too old to play Ossoff. <laughs> yeah, like who... Who does this? Who? Oh man! Yeah, this is okay. So this is good. This, this is, is going to be a this good is, question. Is, I'm so mad that I didn't that I didn't like. But well, you know what? I know Greg will will get into it and uh, retweet it for us. So we're gonna, yeah. I'm gonna make sure that we remember that. This is the next. This is everyone's cocktail party game now. Who plays who in Flipped? Yes, the movie or the, or the musical? <laughs> Flipped the musical. <laughs> Okay, well, we're in the coming weeks, um, we're going to be, I think, you know, Jen's going to want to come back. So we're going to keep you updated on what Jen Jordan's up to. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like, I I think I've sent her 18 texts since Tuesday. Today we're recording. It's Friday. I did get one heart of one message. I've gotten hearts. (laughs) Well, I sent Jen a text from, she has a fan in Atlanta. He's about four years old and he thinks she is just the prettiest person in the world. And I was like, this was on Wednesday. I was like, she needs to know that she has a fan base of people who recognize how pretty she is. Well, she has a fan base that's so insane. Like I just put her picture, you know, the picture on Instagram from the night, from Tuesday night. And, you know, people really are just, I mean, this is, and I say this about her and you, these are women that really walk the walk, that are brilliant, that really truly care. These are the people that read the bill and the brief, and they're not in it for clicks or fame. You all want to do the work and it's so admirable. And we're so, I I think our audience is so lucky that people like Jen and you are willing to talk and like kind of explain things to us. That means a lot. I really feel like what we're doing on this podcast is very important because we are trying to, I feel like we're trying to bring Georgia politics to people through a lens that is accessible and relatable and a little bit fun because it is, it's a lot of fun, but it's also a lot exhausting. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's crazy. All right. So, um, I just want to give a shout out to Nikado restaurant. Yes. So tonight, um, I am, they're having their 50th anniversary party, which is crazy to think. And this is a political angle of this. So they're 50 years. It's one of my favorite restaurants in Atlanta. And they're having their, it's shut down for a special event. And they're like, people are flying in from all over the world. So crazy. So, but on their website, 
Terry, you can look at this. There's a picture of Jimmy Carter yes. at Nakato. Yes. yes. And I was at Nakato and Sachi Nakato, who is the owner and like part of the Nakato family, I asked about that. And she was just talking about Jimmy Carter and how he was there to bring Japanese development into Georgia. That's that right. he was one of the innovators of doing that and how they went to eat at Nakato. And I just think like how not only was that so innovative because we see that happening in Georgia with Asian companies, you know, in today's politics, but how that restaurant has just stood the test of time. It's incredible. Yes. And they have been steadfast. So I'm actually the house co-chair of the Georgia-Japan Legislative Caucus. I did not know that. Japan is Georgia's largest trading partner. The state of Georgia has an office in Japan. And we have since, I believe, the 70s, um, you know, going back to when Jimmy Carter was governor, but no, we have, I mean, major, major Japanese companies have their headquarters here in Georgia. Um, the greatest thing in my life is the Toto toilet seat, the Toto washlet. I could talk about, I gotta have a whole podcast about bidets. Um, they're, Let's definitely they're, do that. They make them here in Georgia. Uh, Wait, no, I want to do that when Jen's on with Jen. us because it'll make her uncomfortable and that's great. Go oh, on. Oh yeah, well, I like to talk about my bidet. All like toilet paper crisis didn't impact me. But no, we have, we, and, and, but Nakato has been, he actually at the Carter Center, they just finished construction. There was a ribbon cutting recently for a peace bell. And if you go to the Carter Center, if you're in Metro Atlanta, and, and Nakata was actually a huge supporter of, of the groundbreaking and the ribbon cutting, but actually um, artisans, carpenters were brought over from Japan to build this beautiful setting. It, it is a peace bell. It's one of the very few temple bells that was not melted down during World War II. Wow. And it was given as a gift to President Carter. And now it is there in, in a, it's its own like bell tower there on the card, the grounds of the Carter center. Uh, okay. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, um, anyone you want to give a shout out to? Yes. My sister, Susan in Seattle, I promised I would give her a shout out (laughs) and she was texting me and calling me all election night. Like what's happening? What's happening with Jen? What's happening with me? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Well, and hey, uh, congrats to to oh she's in Washington because I was thinking in Oregon they have a lesbian governor. I can't think of her name right now, which is very exciting. All right, well, thanks Christina Larringer for being such a great producer. We're so thankful that you're uh, you've done overtime for us, and we will talk to you next week.